Assalamu alaikum and peace and blessings of God be upon you. Welcome to another edition of the Pathway to Peace show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. My name is Sufyan Faruqi and this is a show where we take an analytical look at how we can achieve peace, whether that be political peace, economic peace, societal peace, or even that inner peace. Today we travel across the pond into the heart of America and the great state of Texas, where recently, just a few short weeks ago, His Holiness visited and delivered a keynote speech at the inauguration of the Battle Ikram Mosque just outside of Dallas, Texas, in the town of Allen. Uh, it was a captivating talk on the topic of universal peace and security. Now, the session, as many sessions that His Holiness attends, are well attended. This one in particular uh, played host to over 100 guests, including politicians, faith leaders, and local residents. Now, traditionally, normally, we would uh, talk about the speech and at the very end of the show, share with you some of the thoughts and comments of the guests. Today, I'm going to flip that on his head and play for you at the outset the thoughts and comments of the guests that attended the speech of His Holiness the Fifth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in person. Let's take a listen. I think his message was not only resonant with the community of Texas, local community here itself, but also globally. Such a divine and peaceful and virtuous personality and the true representation of Islam. The Ahmadiyyas came out publicly against extremism and just respect the courage that it takes to do that. And to hear His Holiness and hear about his efforts, I, I see that that he's built that culture in the Amadea community. I, I just, I, I'm so honored. I, I can't even express the the feeling that I have to be in his presence and, and just recognizing the, uh, the responsibility that he has. And he has taken time to come here to Allen, Texas and share a few words with this community and to reassure us that there's nothing to fear and that we all want peace we want to accept all humans, and there's no hate, there's just love, and that's what this is about. So those were the guest comments uh, after the speech of His Holiness, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community that was delivered at the inauguration of the Battle Ikram Mosque in uh, just outside of Dallas, Texas. Now, joining me in the studio, as always, is my peaceful pal and co-host, Mr. Arif Khan. Assalamu alaikum, Arif. Peace be upon you. Arif, well... Let's kick things off and get your thoughts on what we just heard there. And we kind of did it the other way around this time with listening to the guest comments. But what what stood out to you about what the guest said about His Holiness' talk there? Walaikum salam. Peace be upon you too, Sufyan. And welcome to our listeners. Um, I think I like how you played it at the start this time because I think you're right. Normally when we cover a, an event or a speech that His Holiness gives, we... We, we normally have the comments towards the end and that gives us less time to reflect on them. Maybe they don't get mm. the attention. So I, I like that you put them at the start. And I think for me, what really stood out is that, you know, for members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, you know, His Holiness, the worldwide caliph, is our spiritual leader. And, uh, you know, he is our, he leads our community. So for us, we all hold him very dear. And when you hear other members of the community talk about him, it's one thing. You know, but when you hear people coming from different communities who maybe have just met him for the first time or, you know, are not members of the community, but when they say these glowing things about him, I think it has a lot more weight. 
Um, and this is, I mean, obviously part of um, part of giving thanks and recognizing him being there is is hospitality. But when you see the emotion, I know this is on radio, so people couldn't see these clips, but they're on YouTube. When you see the emotion in the face sometimes of even people who are not members of the community, um, who maybe do not have a, a direct spiritual link with with this person. Um, when they talk about him, there's emotion on their face. They always, uh, you know, are always moved, often moved by the words that His Holiness has used and the topics he's raised. And you know, they have you know a lot to say about how it resonated with them, and you know about being in his presence. Like that, that was the bit that struck me was you know uh, the lady who was speaking there. You know, she was asked about her impressions, etc. She could have talked about the material of the speech, but she really focused on how blessed she felt to be in the presence of His Holiness. And you could see she was struggling to put into words what that meant. So for me, I, you know, that was the bit that really stood out. Yeah, we've seen that throughout the this tour, every tour actually of His Holiness, where you know the guests that come in. I mean, we heard it uh, last month when we looked at the the speech that His Holiness gave in Zion and some of the guest comments there. You know, it's the same kind of emotion and same kind of feedback. And as you rightly mentioned, Arf, you know, we as Amity Muslims, we are blessed to to be here in London in the presence of His Holiness many times. Uh, and those around the world often, you know, get to seek advice from His Holiness directly uh, and be in be in audiences with Him. But to hear it from outsiders, from guests, from those that may have never interacted with His Holiness before, or may have never even heard about who He is, uh, for, for to hear their reactions uh, is always enlightening, and it always kind of rejuvenates for even the Amadi Muslims. You know how lucky we are, and and reminds us of how lucky we are uh, to be part of 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 this community. I so, had um, one. Sorry, I had one other comment if I ahead. can around something else as well. So the first speaker said that when when His Holiness was speaking, it felt like the advice he was giving was not just for them, you know, this part of uh, Texas, but it was for a much wider stage. And this is true of His Holiness, like any leader, really, is that when you are speaking, you know, he knows his words are going to be relayed across the world. And he often uses that opportunity to address much broader issues. So, yes, we're, you know, in the show today, we're going to be looking at a speech delivered to uh, one community in Texas, but the message is something for the whole world, and, and and you know we'll get onto that later. But parts of it he specifically addresses the the whole world. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot about His Holiness's speech speeches. Wherever he is in the world, he understands who his audience is, and his audience is global. So no matter where he is, whatever corner of the world he may be in and may be addressing, yes, he's addressing the people in front of him, but he's fully aware. Uh, that there's cameras, there's microphones, and that everybody around the world, uh, at least at minimum, all the Ahmadi Muslims around the world, tens and of millions of followers, uh, will be listening to each and every word that he says. So I invite you, our listener, to get involved in the conversation here on the Pathway to Peace show as well. You can do this by tweeting at Voice of Islam UK using the hashtag VOI Peace. That's VOI for Voice of Islam, followed by the word Peace. That's hashtag VOIPs to let us know your thoughts and comments on Twitter. So, Arif, let's dive into this keynote address by His Holiness. As is often the pattern I've noticed in these speeches is that, we, uh, that we've covered here many times on, on this program, The Pathway to Peace Show. His Holiness often starts with thanking his audience. Now, I heard this once, I heard it twice, um, and then I started wondering, like, there's, there's a pattern here of His Holiness always thanking his guests. Now, on the surface, it makes perfect sense, but is there a deeper meaning to this? And I was very, very curious. And in fact, in this very speech, 
His Holiness actually explained the reason why, which I thought was really fascinating. His Holiness said, quote, The Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him, said that a person who is not grateful to others, other people could not be thankful to God Almighty. As Muslims, His Holiness continued, we believe that Allah the Almighty has granted us the ability and means to build this mosque. Therefore, we must express our gratitude to Him and in reality, genuine gratitude to Allah is only possible when we are also grateful and appreciative to His creation. Now, this is a a, a very deep um, idea and a, and a concept, and it's one that we talk about here a lot on the Pathway to Peace show, and that is the the rights owed to God and the rights owed to man. So, when His Holiness is talking and thanking those guests that are present in front of Him, He's doing it as an obligation, as part of his his duty, uh, and even more so being a, a world religious leader uh, to make sure that, that he expresses gratitude to God. And he's doing that in this instance by thanking those in front of him and uh, paying the rights to fellow man and humanity so that, in essence, he's fulfilling his rights to God. I think also as well, it's like as... Um as Muslims ourselves, Sufyan, look, we we live in a certain environment. Maybe we have our own echo chamber, right? In terms of, in terms of these things. So let's let's put this differently. What if you received an invitation for the opening of a Buddhist temple in your area, right? Yeah. And before you were to accept that, you would think, okay, should I go? Should I not? Who will I know there? Hmm. I'm not sure what's going to take place there. You know, you'd start to think what you know about Buddhist, and you kind of go, well, okay, from what I've seen in the media and things, I think that. They're very much a pacifist religion. You know, this is the kind of questions you would ask yourself. Yeah. Now, if someone living in America, in Texas, yeah. is invited to a mosque, unfortunately, because of the you know the nature of um, some of the incidents that have taken place in the name of Islam, it, that, there's not a positive image for mm. of Islam for a lot of people. Now, those who know Muslims, often they have a more uh, liberal viewpoint. Those who have had a chance to experience, they'll have maybe a different viewpoint, hopefully a very positive experience. But there'll be a lot of people who never don't know any Muslims, have never met a Muslim. Yeah. And so I think it's really good and I think it's absolutely appropriate to take a moment at the start of that meeting. And, like, and you're right, His Holiness has done this at uh, inaugurations of other mosques and uh, interfaith events to mm. just go, actually, thank you for coming to the audience who have come here because just the act of attending a mosque is actually, you know, there's some courage taken on the part of those people. They're making a conscious decision to have an open mind and go there. Yeah. Right, because the next day, it'll be, you know, let's say it's let's say it was me and you, you know, next day someone says, oh, it was your weekend, oh, well, I went to such and such event. You have to be ready for people to say, well, why were you doing that? Yeah. You know, what were you doing that for? What were your intentions, etc.? So it's a conscious decision you're doing that, you know, you may be asked about. So I think it's, um, for us, it might be very natural that when there's an opening of a mosque and people are invited, they come along. And mm. obviously, if you're the local mayor and things like that, it's different the local member of parliament etc it's different but for the individuals who kind of had that and went there his holiness has mentioned in the previous uh, address as well that he he basically said that they are that their act of coming and attending shows their open-mindedness yeah and that's the that's all we can really ask in this world right is for people to be open-minded to others and and be willing to learn and listen yeah and to maybe put aside either prejudices or things that are, they're concerned about i remember um the when uh, Barry Schwartz, who's an expert on the Shroud of Turin, when he was first invited to the annual convention in the UK, and he had a chance to uh, 
you know, the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community's annual convention, there's normally about 40,000 people there. We brought him along as an expert to be part of an exhibition there. And he openly said afterwards, he goes, you know, he, I'd never been to a Muslim event before. You mm. know, I had a little bit of nervousness, I'll be honest. You know, then he spoke about how that went away and how much he enjoyed the event. But that initial going to something for the first time, there would have been people at that event who maybe had never been into a mosque before or into a Muslim gathering. So I think it is worth, it's uh, really important and uh, that His Holiness did do that. And you can see he emphasizes yeah. that each time because it is key to understand yeah. that perspective. It links back to what you said at the start. His Holiness always understands his audience as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting to me because, the, I mean, you kind of, you understand it from a point of thanking who you're speaking to from from the surface, but I felt this time His Holiness went a little bit deeper and kind of explained why he does it, and I found that yeah. really really interesting. But you brought up an interesting point there, Arif, and let's let's dive into that a little bit as well. In that you know we live in 2022, so uh, as as we were preparing for the show, uh, I, I started wondering like, you know, even if you think even if you take the event of what happened on 9/11 uh, and that probably scared a lot of people right and put a lot of people uh, uh, in, a, in a situation where they genuinely had a fear of the religion of Islam but you'd think some 20 odd years later that we've kind of moved past that but there still seems to be this genuine fear of people uh, from people about coming to a Muslim place of worship a mosque having this fear that something bad's going to happen if I go there you know and I just wanted to get your thoughts, Arif, on why do you think it is so many years after, you know, I just I just went back to 9-11, but you can go back centuries and decades, um, and, and there's always been this kind of general fear. Uh, you know, why, why do you think that is in, in 2022? So first of all, I think human beings naturally fear things they don't understand. Mm. And, you know, if you think about, again, I think, you know, me and you are probably... Um, not the right people to be answering this question in a way. And we have to think about, we have to put our mi ourselves in the mindsets of others. So if you are being invited to somewhere where, you know, there's a link to it. So you've mentioned 9-11 and, and, you know, there was 7-7 in the UK. There's, every year there are acts of terrorism, unfortunately, that are perpetrated by, often by people that, um, you know, uh, well, there, it has happened when there's people who are claiming some kind of link with Islam. Now, yes, there is um, terrorist events that happen with those that have nothing to do with Islam. And, you know, we can talk and debate a little bit about, you know, does the media focus sometimes on, on the wrong things or sensationalize or pro or give more coverage to incidents uh, where hate is, is expressed rather than those where, you know, love and peace is expressed. But there are these incidents, right? They're in the, they're in the mainstream media. I, was, I remember watching a documentary on Channel 4 um, several years ago, which was called Undercover Mosque. Mm. And it was dispatches undercover mosque where they went into uh, some mosques in, I think, Finsbury Mosque or mosques in East London. And they were able to pull out through secret filming quotes from certain preachers that were speaking in you know, using hateful language. So there are examples of this. Right. So now often in mosques, you know, the the sermon, sometimes the sermons in Arabic. Yeah. Often the people only in, uh, in the mosque are just the ones who are invited. It's not open to guests and things like that. So uh, I'm talking about generally, generally in mosques. So they, they, I think there is a sometimes legitimate suspicion almost around this topic because people will be able to look at the media and other places and they'll be able to see examples where, you know, terrorist attacks have occurred and people have claimed some kind of link mm. with Islam. You know, documentaries are, are available on TV which have talked about hate preachers in certain mosques. In the universities in the UK in the 90s, there were, there were groups 
that were trying to bring back some kind of caliphate. You know, we know about Daesh and Islamic State. So th- there are examples, unless as Muslims we should acknowledge them. They are there. Mm. And then I think it comes down to the, the individual people, right? What's their emphasis now? So if they don't have... So what in my personal experience, those people that have maybe Muslim friends or Muslim work colleagues or they know some Muslim family, they have a, might, a very different viewpoint. Those who have, do not have that and mm. their only interpretation is through maybe the media and, and other things, they can sometimes have, you know, the, the term Islamophobia exists for a reason. And then you have another group which are actually actively opposed due to some other, you know, we, we have examples of those on the far right, which will have, you know, active hatred of Islam anyway as their starting position. So you have all these responses. So some of it can just be people's human nature response. This is something I don't understand. Some of it can be due to their, their viewpoints in terms of, you know, uh, around immigration, are mm-hmm. Muslims coming to take over the country, things like that. And then partly, I think, as Muslims, we have to admit that there are groups which, you know, do not reflect the true teaching of Islam, are not in line with what Islam teaches, but there are groups who claim to be Muslims who are making, you know, causing either uh, atrocities or, you know, propagating a teaching around trying to set up some kind of, uh, you know, separate Islamic state, etc. So they do exist. Now, for us, me and you, it's easier for us to understand, well, that's not Islam. We know what Islam really is. This is what it is. We have great examples as Ahmadiyya Muslims, members of the community, about Islamic leadership and what it should be. Mm-hmm. So we can easily work out, you know, which are the, what is the true teaching? What should we be paying uh, attention to? But people who don't have that grounding or people who are primed to look for any example to make their own point, you know, they can take a very different viewpoint. So I think it's one of those where within our circle, we're in an echo chamber, you know, we think, you know, we, we, we have a certain view of Islam and we also think potentially that, you know, everyone or majority of people are quite open. Whereas yeah. I think that, you know, that is not, you know, I certainly, I don't think uh, suspicion of Islam is massively widespread, but I think, you know, there's, there's probably more than we may think because there are examples that people can point to where, where, you know, they, it is something they don't understand. Often they, they don't understand. And the last thing I'll just say on this, I know this has been a bit of a, a monologue for me here. Last thing I'll say on this, I think that the example of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community where whenever we build a mosque, we openly say this is for other communities to come. Mm-hmm. And that's the true teaching of Islam, saying this is not just for us to worship, it's for others. We hold community events here. And then also every sermon, the sermons that His Holiness delivers are, are broadcast across the world. They're translated into multiple languages. You know, everything is put on the website. There's nothing to hide here. Even now, I've noticed when speeches are delivered at some of our internal events and gatherings, they're also made available on the Review of Religions website, etc. So that, I think, is the correct example uh, that, you know, and people should take comfort from that and um, see that this is, you know, this is an openness that we can have and what Islam really teaches. But there are examples. I can understand some of the suspicion, um, you know, amongst other groups. Yeah, yeah. That's a very uh, interesting answer and uh, very comprehensive indeed. Uh, his, going, coming back now to the speech uh, of His Holiness uh, on the 8th of October 2022 in Allen, Texas at the inauguration of the Battle Ikram Mosque. Uh, His Holiness said, and he defined um, kind of the purpose of mosques. He said, quote, Our mosques serve as a place for our members to congregate, to fulfill their religious duties of worshipping God Almighty, and secondly, our mosques enable us to serve God's creation and to propagate Islam's teaching. So it goes back to exactly what you were saying there, Arif, about you know how uh, our mosques kind of become community centers, and they're there to serve God's creation. What we were talking about at the top of the show with uh, the purpose of of serving God and serving mankind. So by serving 
God's creation in these uh, houses of worship that are built by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, we are essentially uh, doing it to please God and fulfilling our obligation of, of, of our faith. And then His Holiness mentions about propagating Islam's teachings. Yep. So because now uh, the locals have a place to go, um, as long as they have the courage and bravery to go. And this, this this event exactly was for that reason, to kind of open up those new avenues, those new relationships, those people that we just talked about that may be reluctant to come to a mosque. Maybe now they feel more comfortable, so they will hopefully visit Battle Ikram many, many times over the next few years and learn about the, the true Islamic teachings rather than relying on what you mentioned there earlier, where a lot of what, what we see in the media... Uh, is often uh, misconstrued or, or or maybe not misconstrued because some people are out there committing these yeah. acts of violence and atrocity. So you can't blame the media entirely. They're they're reporting what they're seeing. Yep. Uh, so and that's a whole different debate. So it was very very interesting. Now, um, moving forward, I want to play another clip uh, about what His Holiness said about the purpose of of what a mosque is. Let me very clearly state that this mosque will never cause you or your fellow citizens any harm or distress. Rather than sowing seeds of discord and disharmony in society, this mosque will serve as a unifying force for good. This mosque's very purpose and objective is, and will always remain, God willing, to be a source of everlasting peace and a means to foster love and mutual respect among the people of all faiths and beliefs. <coughs> this is our commitment, not just here, but wherever and whenever we build a mosque in any part of the world. So succinctly stated there by His Holiness the Fifth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community of the purpose of, of this mosque. And I thought it was really interesting, Arif, wanted to get your thoughts. Um, His Holiness said that this mosque will serve as a unifying force for good. What do you take from that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I gave a really long-winded um, explanation to try and set the scene about what different people viewpoint is, how they met a different viewpoint, how they may have had this misconception, but now it'll be answered this way. And in one sentence, His Holiness summed up all of that by saying in that sentence, he starts off by saying, rather than sowing the seeds of discourse and disharmony in society, this mosque will serve as a unifying force of good. So in that one sentence, he's already covered a point. He's basically saying, without saying it, that there'll be some who think or fear that yeah. maybe this mosque is going to cause discord or disharmony in society, which is exactly you know, a really nice way of uh, summarizing what I was trying to convey earlier. So, yeah, and instead it should be unifying force for good. So, you know, it's uh, summarized much better than I could there. And, you know, it's all about exactly that. If the mosque is fulfilling its true purpose, if those worshipping in it are fulfilling their true purpose, then it will always be a place of peace. Um, and it reminded me in the UK, for example, post the events of 9-11 and 7-7, you know, one of the things the community did was very much more of an outreach program. Go to the different communities, have the uh, increase the visibility of the community and our peaceful message in the public. Why? Because there's other voices that are trying to give a different view of Islam. If we think that's not right, we have to. We as an overall community, and what wonderful example we have from His Holiness as our leader, we have to be out there continually 
you know, repeating this message and strength, you know, staying true to it as well. We can. It's all well and good saying the mosque will be a place of unity, but are we using it that way? Are we opening it up for others? Are we running events here? And I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to see me and you both have the peace symposium that yeah. happens annually, where members from all faiths literally congregate in in the mosque. You know, just a few meters away from where we are right now, it's recording this. So, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, that's that's basically what needs to happen. Yeah, and other events. I mean, the Ahmadiyya Muslim yeah. community everywhere we have a mosque, it really does become a community center. I mean, just thinking back in in, in recent history, I mean, um, at the sad demise of Her Majesty the Queen, there was a huge event at the Bata Futu Mosque uh, in remembrance of Her Majesty the Queen. You know, we had local dignitaries, local officials. Um, other events that come to mind the, during the pandemic, obviously, the mosque opens its door to to become a, a vaccination clinic. There are multiple uh, opportunities for the local community, uh, following government guidelines, uh, of course, uh, to come to the, to a mosque of all places to get their COVID nineteen vaccinations, and so many so many other events that take place here. I mean, even next week, there's a there's a mentoring session uh, put on by our business affairs department where people can come and get guidance. And, um, and and seek advice on careers and different career paths and, and talk to people and, and establish relationships. So a mosque isn't just, where, wherever the Ahmadiyya Muslim community builds a mosque, it doesn't just serve as a hub for, for prayer, although that is the primary purpose, but it does uh, do a lot more for the community and trying to, you know, get the community together, bring people together. And I, I think the... Um, the peace symposiums are kind of the climax, uh, aside from the annual conventions that the community holds, uh, that the, the the mosque serves as kind of a, a beacon of hope and light and peace and uh, everything else uh, that the community needs uh, can be found in a mosque. So the people of, of Dallas and Allen, Texas now have a center where they can uh, do all these events and bring people together. I've got a question for you, Sufjan, as, you know, as an American. Um, for those in the UK, you know, Texas is part of the Deep South, yeah. the Bible Belt, etc. So just the fact that there is a mosque in that area within Texas, you know, how, what's your experiences in terms of the community in Texas? Is like, you know, is there much, is there opposition because of the, the strong biblical links or the Bible Belt is how that area is referred to? Mm. Or, are, or, or is that maybe a misconception? Well, let me right off the bat say I've never been to Texas. Uh, so I'm not the best person to answer this, but you're absolutely right. I think there is this um, concept of the Bible Belt, and 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 generally, you know, when you think of hardcore evangelical preachers, you think of places like Texas and Louisiana mm-hmm. and Alabama and the Deep South, and and we oftentimes hear about uh, preachers from those areas. I mean, even Florida. There was a few years ago, there was that guy that was uh, burning Qurans. Uh, so it, it does have that reputation, even though I'd never visited Texas personally. Uh, I have heard those stories and seen seen the news. Uh, so there is an element of that. And that goes back to exactly what we were talking about earlier when we were talking about why people fear fear mosques. Um, and, and, and I think that whole kind of kind of stereotype is almost in reverse right like we don't say that that represents christianity Mm -hmm. because uh, a pastor went and burned a quran um so you know there there is a stereotype there there is a uh uh people's minds do think of the bible belt as hardcore christians the fact that we were able to go in there 
And the same is the case with uh, Zion, actually, because mm-hmm. when you think of it from a historical perspective and who started that city, uh, being almost an evangelical Christian of sorts uh, in Alexander Dowie, uh, going in there and being able to open a mosque there and then coming to the heart of America, Dallas, Texas, and opening this beautiful mosque. I mean, um, there's pictures of it online. It's just a, a fantastic, magnificent building. And uh, hearing... I mean, two of the people that you heard there at the top of the show uh, speaking were actually police officers, the ones uh, with the deep South Southern accents were actually police officers. If you're able to watch it on, on YouTube, you'd see that. So it, it says a lot about the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and how we've been able to reach all parts of the world and all different communities. Uh, but I think it is definitely historic, uh, the fact that we were able to open this mosque in in a city like Allen, Texas, um, somewhere where you'd never think of, yeah. of, of a mosque. And being. you could hear how welcoming the comments were as well. I think it's coming back to what was, we were saying earlier. It's like um, removing the fear. Like, how do you, how are we ever going to bring, you know, our fractured society in in all countries, but, you know, in U.S. as well, recently, you know, that division has been highlighted on many fronts, political or racial. The only way you're going to break those barriers down is bringing people together like this, opening up your doors and, and inviting those of other faiths into the, uh, you know, in this example, into the mosque, but having a community where you kind of transcend those barriers. Absolutely. You're listening to the Pathway to Peace show here on The Voice of Islam. Be sure to tweet us uh on at Voice of Islam UK, or you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, and use the hashtag VOIPs to send us your thoughts, comments, and feedback. We are discussing a keynote speech delivered by His Holiness the Fifth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community that he delivered in Allen, Texas, just outside of Dallas, a city that probably a majority of you are more familiar with. Allen is in the northeast of uh, the greater Dallas area. His Holiness delivered a keynote speech at the opening of the Battle Ikram Mosque, and we're discussing that keynote speech. Now, His Holiness quoted uh, from the Quran, chapter 3, uh, Surah Al-Imran, which says, quote, Surely the first house founded for mankind is that at Becca, referring to the holy city of Mecca, uh, abounding in blessings and guidance for peoples. In it are manifest signs. It is the place of Abraham, and whoso enters it enters peace. And pilgrimage to the house is a duty which men, those who can find a way thither, owe to Allah. And whosoever disbelieves, let them remember that Allah is surely independent of all creatures. This is chapter 3 of the Holy Quran, Al-Imran, verse 97 and 98. Now, um, I did some research on the commentary of specifically of the second verse in the the two that I just read, uh, the commentary of the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And I want to take a moment just to read uh, some of that. The, he, the second caliph mentions the Kaaba not only promises but also affords peace and security to those who enter it. This promise has been literally fulfilled temporar- temporally God has ever protected it against wars, invasions, both in ancient and modern times, the way in which Abraha, the ruler of Yemen, and his hosts were destroyed when they tried to invade the Kaaba, and the way in which this territory, which then formed part of the dominion of Turkey, was kept outside of the conflict during the First World War, 
afford remarkable instances of how miraculously God protects the Kaaba. Unlike the sacred places of other nations, it has never fallen into the hands of a people who would not revere it. Even in the days of ignorance, when the different tribes of pagan Arabia were constantly at war with one another, the territory of the Kaaba was held to be sacred and no fighting was allowed therein. Spiritually also, it is a place of security for those who enter it in the spiritual sense embrace the religion of Islam, they become the recipients of the divine favors and enjoy security from the punishment of God. So really, really almost like a history lesson there about how God has pr protected the Kaaba. And in, in, in essence, each and every mosque in the world is a reflection of, of that, what we believe to be the first house of God. Um, so... What are your thoughts on this, Arif? And then, uh, so first of all, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. Often, hadn't something I reflected on, but it's absolutely true if you think about it. You know, the conflicts of, if, sadly, if you look at, for example, Jerusalem and some of the other holiest sites in the Holy Land, like they are, we've seen they are the site of conflict. They still are today. Um, sometimes they are the constant, the most fought over sites. But you're right in terms of the, uh, or what the, the second caliph is highlighting there. It's the Kaaba has had this. Uh, it's been protected from any such any such conflicts and I also particularly enjoyed the second part of that sentence or right near the end of the second sentence there's a section mentions that spiritually as well spiritually also it is a place of security for those who enter it in the spiritual sense i.e. they embrace the religion of Islam so saying those who enter the Kaaba metaphorically spiritually by becoming Muslims yeah. they also are protected and they have uh, some kind of protection and security I thought that was a very nice kind of metaphor and uh, I think you're coming to this anyway but it's worth mentioning five times a day when Muslims pray their daily prayers they they physically face towards the Kaaba uh, as well so it is a key um, you know it's something that all Muslims align on in a physical sense mm -hmm. um, and you know there, there's some symbolic spiritual meaning there as well yeah, the commentary continues in talking about the pilgrimage to Mecca. So um, I'd like to uh, spend a minute just uh, reading some of that. The pilgrimage to Mecca has great social and political significance for Muslims from all parts of the world who meet here once a year can exchange views and establish and renew relations of love and brotherhood. They, can op they have opportunities to acquaint themselves with the problems that confront Muslims in different countries of copying one another's good points, profiting by one another's experiences and of cooperating with one another. It is, however, a matter of great regret that at present little advantage is being taken of this aspect of the pilgrimage. So what what stood out to me when, when reading this part of the commentary, Arif, is, is it almost reminded me of exactly what Ahmadiyya Muslim mosques do today. You know, we, we use our mosques to come together, to share ideas, to, um, you know, share our problems to get solutions to to you know just a part of it is socializing uh so you know it's interesting that that the commentary of this verse describes the the pilgrimage to mecca in that same light and it kind of shows the parallel of how you know the Ahmadiyya muslim community is is truly trying to reflect those teachings of Islam. Yeah, and, and any community truly trying to, like, you know, any Muslim community trying to truly reflect Islamic teaching would have to create, would need to create that kind of environment, you know, at its mosques, at its gatherings as well. And it's, you know, it's not always easy. I think also in terms of the Mecca and the pilgrimage of Mecca, it's, 
you know, one thing that I always found very profound was what Malcolm X said when he went yeah. to the pilgrimage for Mecca. So, um, you know, he went, you know, Malcolm X is a you know, famous person within religious history. We knew that there were times when he had a more militant view, a more Afrocentric view about the uh, the way the world should work. But his viewpoint changed when he went to Mecca. It had a transformational experience. It was a transformational experience for him and it's you know it's a topic for another day but just briefly i'll just quote a little bit of the letter that he wrote on his return he says during the past 11 days here in the muslim world i have eaten from the same plate drunk from the same glass and slept in the same bed or on the same rug while praying to the same god with fellow muslims whose eyes were the bluest of blue whose hair was the blondest of blonde and whose skin was the whitest of white and in the words and in the actions and in the deeds of the white muslims i felt the sincerity that I felt among the black African Muslims of Nigeria, Sudan, and Ghana. So what he was emphasizing here was that his viewpoint around, you know, maybe racial superiority of, of blacks, uh, which was a viewpoint he had at one point that he softened on, this experience of going to the Hajj, the peace that he saw, the way that he saw people from all these different faiths and ethnic backgrounds made him reevaluate that. And that was, you know, it was the practical application of the teaching of Islam in the area of Mecca and the Hajj that kind of made him realize that. Yeah, yeah. So now coming back to the speech of His Holiness, why did we spend the last seven minutes or so talking about uh, Mecca and what does that have to do with with the speech that His Holiness gave? It's because actually His Holiness uh, also commented on the verses that we just read. And uh, he said that it does not mean that merely visiting the Kaaba or offering a prayer in its vicinity will guarantee a person a life of peace and prosperity. This verse, His Holiness goes on to say, is actually stipulating that a true Muslim is he or she who seeks to fulfill the purpose for which the Kaaba was built by striving to abide by Islam's teaching at all times. Fundamentally, the words, whoso enters it, enters peace, demand true worshipers of Allah the Almighty to pay great attention to fulfilling the rights of other people and to afford peace and security to all humanity. In this way, they not only attain peace, but also become the guarantor for the peace of others. So it's just highlighting the fact and the responsibility of us as Muslims and reminding members of the community that just because you're in this mosque doesn't mean that, you know, you're you may be at peace, but your obligation is also to take that peace um, and and be a, become a guarantor uh, for peace for others. And um, we see this in 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 the Ahmadiyya Muslim community around the world. I mean, when I was reading this, um, I was immediately reminded of of the recent campaign that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community did uh, as part of the Stop World War Three campaign, and it just reminded me of you know going out into central London, uh, and this has been replicated around the world. I mean, the campaign to stop World War Three was really just to be, bring an awareness about what's going on in the world and, in essence, help to maintain the peace that, the so-called peace that we currently have and that it doesn't escalate into something more tragic. And His Holiness actually mentioned that later on in his speech as well about the uh, precipice of, of destruction that we stand on. Um, but before we go to that point, uh, I want to move to uh, another portion of the speech and His Holiness spent quite a bit of time on this portion uh, where he talked about uh, religious freedom 
His Holiness said that most regrettably it is alleged by the opponents of Islam that it is an extremist religion that promotes violence and warfare. Nothing could be further from the truth. Islam's teachings do not permit Muslims to engage in warfare or resort to the use of force, except in the most extreme circumstances where war is waged unjustly against them and there is a direct attempt to destroy and eliminate Islam. And His Holiness went on to to talk a lot about you know, early Islam and the conditions that the Muslims were in. Um, and I know this is an area of interest for you, Arif. So do you want to elaborate on this a bit? I think it's one of the key sort of misconceptions about Islamic teaching. And again, it comes back from sometimes um, can be people's prejudice, but sometimes it can be them not understanding certain historical events and how the context in which they, they took place. So first of all, let us be absolutely crystal clear that in terms of um, let's start with, so in terms of religious freedom, the first thing is you know, your freedom to believe what you want to believe. So what does Islam say about that? So it's, Islam is very clear in the Holy Quran, chapter 2, verse 257 states, there shall be no compulsion in matters of religion. Well, there's no compulsion in religion. You'll hear that quote mentioned again and again. So right from the start, you know, and very early on in the Holy Quran, that is a clear you know, commandment. Later in the Quran, toward the end, chapter 109, and there is another section that says, for you, your religion, and for me, my religion. And this is a verse addressing, you know, disbelievers. So Islam makes his viewpoint very clear there that, you know, the, the matters of whether you believe in something or not is not something that can be forced upon someone. And, you know, sometimes it gets to a point where even if you've tried to reason with someone and you've expressed your view and they don't agree, then you can agree to disagree, which mm. is effectively what this verse is saying. You know, for you, your religion, for me, my religion. So... That is, the, that is the default, that position, not just the default, that is the specific teaching that Islam brings in terms of religion uh, and the, you know, the fact that it can't be forced uh, upon, it, upon anyone. And then the other thing I want to bring in is this idea of apostasy. So sometimes people say that you know, if you are a Muslim and you leave, it's punishable, it should be punished. Mm. So that's another misconception. Islam is very clear that there's, there isn't an apostasy. Uh, there's no punishment in Islam for apostasy. There, there's a verse of the Holy Quran uh, which talks about apostasy in this way, uh, which is chapter 4, verse 138. It says, those who believe, then disbelieve, then again believe, then disbelieve, and then incre increase in disbelief, Allah will not forgive them, nor will he guide them to the way. So what this is showing is that that's a matter between that person and God. If someone believes and doesn't believe and does, and then finally moves away from God, that is a matter between them and Allah. There's no, um, that nowhere is any punishment prescribed in terms of what should happen for someone who then you know is a Muslim and then decides to leave, there you know everyone is ultimately accountable for their own actions. So that's another thing I wanted to uh, to just mention and to give a really clear example of this. Um, I wanted to relate uh, an incident that took place. Um, so it's uh, Usama ibn Zaid. Usama ibn Zaid state reported the following uh, narration, and this is taken from the Hadith collection Sahih Muslim. It says the Messenger of Allah peace be upon him sent us on an expedition in the morning. We attacked Al-Hurakat or, or Juhayana. I caught hold of a man and he said, there is no God but Allah. I stabbed him anyway. Then it occurred to me that I should mention this to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. The Prophet said, did he say there is no God but Allah, yet you killed him? And I said, O Messenger of Allah, he only said it because he feared the weapon. The Prophet said, did you tear open his heart to know if he meant it or not? The Prophet continued repeating it to me until I wished I had not braced 
embraced Islam until that day. So let me just uh, explain a little bit here. So we're, we're talking about an incident during a, a time of battle, and it talks about the the narrator talks about how um, you know he took one person and then to spare being mm. killed, the person said, "There is no god but Allah," or he declared this, and um, the person Usaba ibn Zaid said that you know he believed the person was just saying this as an excuse, as a way to avoid being killed. But when he narrated this to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, Prophet Muhammad, he asked him this rhetorical question, saying that, did you tear open his heart to know if he meant it or not? And this is the principle, you know, if someone says something or they believe something, you know, who are we to question whether that is truthful or not? And that was what the rhetorical question meant from the Holy Prophet. He basically said to him, how did you know? Do you open up his heart? Were you able to see inside his heart whether he really meant it or not? And then it says that the Prophet continued repeating this. And the bit at the end that says, you know, I wished I had not embraced Islam. Let me explain that. When someone embraces Islam, um, you know, as part of the initiation, they have a bath, they declare certain words, the person's previous sins are forgiven. Mm. So this person is saying, I wished, you know, because he could see the, the how hurt the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was by this action, how much he disliked it. And the person knew this must the, what he did was wrong. So he's saying, I wish I hadn't embraced Islam until after this incident, so I could have been, you know, potentially been forgiven for it. So that is the, the depth, you know, that is the depth to which Islam, uh, Islam explains this. Firstly, there's no compulsion in religion. If people disagree, they are open to disagree. If people are Muslims and then they decide to leave their faith, there's no there's no punishment for that. And ultimately, whether someone believes or not or what they truly believe, it's a matter of their own heart. No person can judge judge that, and it's a matter between them and God. Yeah, indeed. You are listening to The Pathway to Peace here on The Voice of Islam Radio. Be sure to follow at Voice of Islam UK. Use the hashtag VOIPeace uh, and follow and uh, give us your thoughts, comments, and feedback. Uh, and you can do that across uh, social media platforms on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Again, use the hashtag VOIPeace. We are talking about the keynote address delivered on the 8th of October, 2022, by His Holiness the Fifth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community in the town of Allen, Texas, just outside of Dallas. And uh, in this keynote speech, His Holiness elaborated quite extensively on the the freedom of, of religion uh, that Islam offers and we were just discussing some early history uh, and something that His Holiness spent quite a great deal of his address on to demonstrate to the people of, of the area in, in Texas that Islam is not a violent or extremist religion and it does tie into what we were talking about at the, at the top of the show as as well um where we talked about you know why is it that people fear uh the religion of islam or fear coming to a mosque his holiness tried to put all of those fears at rest uh through his keynote address talked about you know how uh islam uh allows you to defend uh not just your own faith but actually upholds and defends the principles of universal religious freedom and how Islam lays stringent rules of engagement uh, and that each and every war that we find in the history of Islam was actually a defensive war. And there's so many people are if uh, that that fail to understand this uh, and His Holiness uh, day in and day out wherever he goes tries to uh, correct 
history, if we can, if we can say that. Um, and, and by correcting history, what I mean is is really uh, giving uh, the uh, the examples of the life of the Holy Prophet. You know, the example that you narrated earlier, just a few minutes ago, uh, uh, during the life of the Holy Prophet, where you know somebody killed someone. And uh, the Holy Prophet's response was, well, did you see his heart mm. and know that? You know, the, it's those kind of incidents that His Holiness uh, tries to bring uh, to the masses and, and make them aware of the true uh, teachings of uh, Islam. And, of course, one of the, the main teachings of Islam is about bringing all people together. We talked about how Islam is a defender of, of all faiths and, and the battles oftentimes where uh, to defend all religions uh, and protect religious freedom. His Holiness, uh, sp- uh, after elaborating on uh, some of the historical incidences, talks about bringing uh, communities together. And here's what His Holiness had to say. And the one God who Muslims worship is the Lord of all mankind, Christians, Jews, Hindus, Sikhs, or the people of other religions, and the people who have no faith, then how could it be that a Muslim would ever cause trouble or be a source of grief for others? Rather, a sincere Muslim would always desire to bestow comfort, to be a source of peace, and to establish love and harmony with all other people, rather than by a person who causes humanity grief or suffering. A true Muslim is one who shoulders the burden of others and feels their pain and sorrow as though it was their own. So it is with this spirit of sympathy for all mankind and an understanding that Allah the Almighty's grace and mercy is universal that we build mosques. Yeah, it reminds me of another keynote address that His Holiness gave in uh, Philadelphia uh, some years ago where he said, we will wipe away your tears. Arif, your thoughts? Yeah, I was, I was also reminded of those those words as well when he talked about taking on the uh, taking on the feelings and the emotions of others. I think one thing that needs to be kind of called out here is that we talk about how those unfamiliar with Islam, they need to hear these teachings. Actually, the Muslims themselves need to hear these teachings, right? There was, yeah. a, there was a prophecy at the time of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, that there would come a time when Islam would be in a bad state, when a lot of the Muslims would have forgotten the true teachings, where they would have deviated from that. And that would be the time when a Messiah would be sent to guide people back to the correct teachings. And, you know, that's what the claim of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and its founder is that he was that person and this is the message that's being put today. So the message being delivered by his representative, the current caliph, Hazrat Mizam Masur Ahmad, may Allah strengthen his hand. He, you know, that is the, the job he's doing and this is exactly what was prophesied was that the true teaching of Islam would be brought back. Um, one of the last books, in fact, I think the last book written by the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community was called a message of peace mm. and he spoke there about you know the need for the different so in india at the time you know there was a lot of tension between the different groups between hindus muslims and christians and he spoke about how you know we are it's as if you know you're cutting the branch upon which you're standing he spoke about the need for as his final book the message really emphasized in that was around religious harmony and you know understanding those of other faiths and living peacefully together and his holiness summed it up perfectly by saying 
if we believe that the same God, it's one God who is the God of Muslims and Christians, Jews, Hindus, Sikhs, those of other faiths, those of no faith, then how could a Muslim cause trouble to these people, right? If we, we believe that, you know, everyone ultimately are, you know, the children of, uh, of the one true God. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it was really interesting there, Arif, where you said that, you know, it's not just a reminder for, for the non-Muslims, it's also a reminder for, for, for Muslims. And if everybody kind of adhere to what the voice of, of the caliph and what the caliph was saying, we probably wouldn't be seeing um, some of the stuff that's going on in the Muslim world. And so many times the caliph has brought brought uh, to uh, the attention of, of various members of world parliaments uh, when he's gone on tour and addressed Capitol Hill here in, in the UK and British Parliament in the EU, uh, in Australia, New Zealand, everywhere he goes, uh, he advises and admonishes people to to do the right thing and and to try to establish a path of of peace and and that of justice. And even in in this address that we're we're discussing, uh, given on the eighth of October, uh, twenty twenty two, in Allen, Texas, at the inauguration of the Battle Ishan Battle Ekram, sorry, Battle Ekram Mosque in Allen, Texas, His Holiness, toward the end. Uh, really did uh, bring to light kind of what's going on in the world and uh, talk, talked about the world teetering on the brink of disaster, saying as nations around the world are engulfed by a ferocious storm of political, economic, and social unrest, the war in Ukraine has been raging for months and dark clouds indicating even greater turmoil and warfare are hovering om- ominously above us. Opposing political blocs and alliances have become progressively entrenched as world become increasingly polarized the result is that the peace and security of the world is unraveling before the day before by the day uh, until recently threatening to unleash nuclear weapons was considered unthinkable but now such threats are uttered on an almost daily basis upon observing how the condition of the world were deteriorating the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has for many years strived to highlight the volatility of the of today's world. We called on world leaders, governments, and ordinary members of the public to set aside any differences that exist for the greater good for the sake of establishing peace and harmony in the world. So, you know, this is almost a reference to the Stop World War Three campaign that we mentioned earlier. And that was all under the guidance of His Holiness, the Fifth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And it's it's not. It's nothing new for for His Holiness to call this out. I mean, His Holiness has been doing this uh, for well over well over a decade, probably longer now, uh, almost two decades, uh, where he's been he's been highlighting the the fact that you know the world is on the brink of disaster. There is a potential for nuclear war. He's he's extensively spoken in past addresses about the dangers of a nuclear disaster and a nuclear war. Specifically, the one that comes to my mind, Arif, is the one that he delivered in Japan, of all places. The only place in the world that has experienced a a nuclear attack, two nuclear attacks, in fact. Um, So His Holiness has been been on a mission to save uh, humanity from the devastating consequences of a nuclear war. And it's a message we clearly need to hear because when this message, like you said, it's been consistently given for nearly two decades, Maybe in the late early 2000s, maybe in the early 2010s, we were thinking, well, there's no imminent war. Why is yeah. it? We were seeing a lot of refugees and movement, but there wasn't really talk of nuclear war. Then there started to be more tension with Russia, the annexation of Crimea. And now, 
on literally, if you look in the newspapers the last few days and weeks, the talk of nuclear weapons and war is clearly explicitly mentioned. Mm. Um, it was the same when he uh, talked about what would happen if potentially President Trump was elected and what kind of what that could lead to in terms of the tensions within America. And I think he used the term civil war. Well, at the time seemed real. You know, this is a big word to use. This mm. is an exaggeration. But then look at what has happened in the last few years. So, you know, he continually prays and tells us to do the same, prays that this isn't the path the world goes down. The world chooses a different path. But, you know, unfortunately, we seem to be heading on that path. And yeah, you're right. He's been at the forefront of calling on people to to pray for peace and, and to change their ways. Yeah, at the end he said, so my ardent request and message to the world is that we must set aside our differences and work tirelessly to foster peace in society so that we may save our future generations rather than, God forbid, sentencing them to lives filled with nothing except misery and despair. Each of us has a role to play, His Holiness says, in the cause for peace. Wherever there is cruelty or injustice, we must condemn it. We must urge our political leaders that instead of propelling our nations towards war and rather than raising the temperature through threats of retribution and violence, they should endeavor to cool the tensions that exist both at an international level and within the nations through diplomacy and wisdom. They must ensure that the peace and security of the world remains their paramount objective. So today, as we conclude here on the Pathway to Peace show on The Voice of Islam, we have been looking at a keynote speech of His Holiness the Fifth Caliph, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, at the occasion of the inauguration of the Battle Ikram Mosque in Allen, Texas, just outside of Dallas, on the 8th of October, 2022. His Holiness discussed about the universal concepts of peace and the important role that mosques play in society. From the entire Pathway to Peace team, our technician who makes the sound of our voice pleasant to your ears, thank you for listening to the Pathway to Peace show here on the Voice of Islam radio. Until next time, for RF Khan, this is Sufyan Faruqi saying Assalamu Alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of God be upon you. <laughs>